following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Uh, it's always a joy to be here with you, and uh, what a great day, and great to you know, be with you again. Um, I haven't taught the Bible <clears throat> in almost a year, so I, I could be a little rusty. Uh, but just to kind of let you know, you know the sports teams? They have like the, the, the first string. And then if something's wrong with those guys, you know, they got the second string. I'm like the seventh string. You know, like if every able-bodied and relatively sane person is out of town, they call me, right? So just to let you know, we may be scraping the bottom of the spiritual barrel this morning. So th- this morning together, you and I, you and this seventh-string preacher, we will look at seven stories from the gospel. And these are seven stories in which Jesus challenges people to follow him. And from these seven stories, we will draw two principles about following Jesus. Principle number one, the Jesus follower endeavors to obey Jesus in everything. The Jesus follower endeavors to obey Jesus in everything. Principle number two, the Jesus follower craves Jesus more than anything. The Jesus follower craves Jesus more than anything. Our first story is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Most of these will be the New Living Translation. It says there, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. There's a second story, same, uh, same chapter there, Matthew 4, verse 21. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and you give it to us for our enlightenment and our admonition, and you promise that nothing in your word will ever fail to accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. We pray that our hearts our ears, our minds would be open to whatever you'd speak to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we saw the calling of these four fishermen, right? So to these fishermen, their nets and their boats represented income, comfort, security, familiarity. It was really all that they knew and focused on. And yet we see that both sets of brothers immediately left their livelihood They left their security, they left everything they knew, everything that was familiar and comfortable, they left all that without hesitation when Jesus says, follow me. James and John, we notice, they also left their father behind. So these first four disciples of Jesus, their response to Jesus, it was immediate and it was a radical break from everything that they had, uh, that had occupied them up to the moment Jesus walked into their lives. With these four, we see an immediacy of action. They don't uh, ponder this decision of whether to follow Jesus. There's no list of pros and cons. They don't ask friends. They don't search it out on the web. They don't post it on social media. No, they just immediately follow Jesus. 
Now, James and John leaving their father behind makes an important point, and that is that the disciples considered that all other human relationships were suddenly of less importance, that Jesus was now the primary relationship in their life. So in an instant, these four men turn their back and forsake everything that they knew, everything they have and care about, and follow Jesus. Remarkable change in such an immediate, short period of time. So our third story is found in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It says there, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi making jeans. No, actually, it says he saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, see the pattern here, and followed him. Later, Levi, also known as Matthew, held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Next, our fourth story, similar story. We find that in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region. And he became very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over his big stack of money. No, it actually says he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. He called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they said. Any notorious sinners in the house today? I know know of one. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. If I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. That's the kind of tax refund I like, the four times thing. You know, that, that's good. Now, to understand the conversion of these two tax collectors, we need to know something about the tax system in Israel at this time. The Romans, of course, controlled Israel. They divided up Israel in different tax districts. They would then auction the right to collect taxes in these districts, and uh, whoever won that auction, that tax collector, would then have kind of like a McDonald's franchise to be able to be the only one that would collect taxes in that region. And uh, the tax collector could and often did demand some crazy, outrageous tax from somebody. Uh, And if the person refused to pay, they would just call a squad of Roman soldiers, grab the person's possessions, even put the person in jail. So they had this threat and intimidation that they could kind of make up any tax number they wanted. And so what Rome did was to set a figure for each of these tax districts and say, That was the amount you needed to collect, Mr. Tax Collector. But if you collected more than that, you got to keep it all. So they would squeeze people and threaten them, intimidate them, and and that's why they got to be very rich. So Matthew and Zacchaeus were both rich, but Zacchaeus was living in Jericho, which was kind of the Beverly Hills of of Israel at that time. And so he was very rich because he's collecting a lot more money than these other folks. So we could say that these two men... Their focus of their life, up until Jesus walks up, is on accumulating money. 
But notice the change in priority in their lives the minute Jesus shows up. Matthew immediately becomes an evangelist. He invites all of his friends over for a meal. Hey, come meet Jesus. And then we see Zacchaeus. He says, I'm giving half my wealth to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to give them four times as much. Well, probably he had defrauded lots of people. So probably the other half of his wealth is going to largely be consumed by just paying back all these scams that he had done, right? So the reality is this incredibly wealthy man is giving up most, almost all, or perhaps all of the money that he's accumulated. It's a radical thing. We don't see that often in our society. But we could ask this, why is someone like Zacchaeus so generous? And here's the key, I think. If you got your eyes on eternity, I think you're going to be generous. If you got your eyes on today, you're not going to be generous. I think it's, it's really that simple. So in the Gospels, we see Jesus brag about all the rewards that he's prepared for those who sacrifice for him. It could be sacrificing time or money. He's got rewards for that. And, and here's my take. We arrive in heaven our first day. I think our mouths are going to drop at the outlandish, over-the-top, outsized rewards that he has. And if there were tears in heaven, I think we would be the one shedding those tears, thinking, darn it, why wasn't I more generous in this life? That's just a personal take. But, but I, I would just say that, you know, Paul writes that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all, above all that we ask or think. So when, when Jesus says reward, I don't think he's talking the minimum. Right? I think it's really just outrageously great. So anyway, that's, that's not primarily our motivation. It's fine. Jesus says, go for it and get the reward. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think in the end, what we see in these transformations, we're going to see a few more here, is that these people, that Jesus became their real priority. And so getting the word out about Jesus and helping the kingdom, that was their priority. It suddenly changed. It was all about them. Now it's all about Jesus. So let's, let's keep going. Uh, fifth story about Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way, you know, it's great. I hear the pages turning. I mean, you know, uh, these days, a lot of folks, they, they bring the Bible on the phone to church. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I just love the sound of those pages. You know, it's just, it's, it's cool. And I'm sure Brian, you know, the same. But anyway, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? You know, tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, Stuart, you, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. Serving, you know, serving Jesus, that's a great thing to do. And I've got to say, in the time, the years that I've visited this fellowship, I would just say, you have a greater number of servants per capita than maybe any church that I've ever seen. So there's a lot of serving going on. Serving is a good thing, but... We never want our serving of Jesus to become a priority greater than time with Jesus or time in his word. You know, I must confess, in my season as a full-time pastor, yeah, it's true, I once was, it doesn't seem like it, but anyway, uh, but in my, in my time as a pastor, uh, my devotional life shrank. It shouldn't be so, right? It should grow, it should get deeper, but the reality is with all the demands of ministry, it shrank. So 
Once again, serving Jesus is a very good thing, but we need to ask him to show us how to serve without uh, sacrificing the main thing, which is time with Jesus. Because here's, here's the key point. Ministry flows from our relationship with Jesus, right? And if that relationship's on life support because we're not spending any time with Jesus in his word or devotionally or just enjoying him, uh, then we try to pour into others. We're pouring from an empty tank. So the whole idea is we've got to make time uh, with Jesus as our first priority so that we are filled and we have the resource then to, to share with others. Sixth story, Luke chapter 9, verse 59. It says there, he, meaning Jesus, said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home to bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Well, for what it's worth, Bible commentators seem to think that this man's father wasn't really all that old and wasn't that close to departing. And so it seems like this may have been an excuse, kind of a delaying tactic is someday I'll get that. Have you noticed city councils and like that, any kind of governmental body, if the people are up in arms about something and they come and you know, they show up and they complain about something, here's, here's what the elected officials will do if they don't want to deal with it. They'll go, you know what? We just need to study this for a year or so. Because they know it'll all die down and go away and whatever. So, you know, this man's saying, you know, someday I'll get around to this. He's got Jesus, the God of the universe, standing in front of him. What better time than to say yes? You know, you put that off and it's probably not going to go well the next time. Okay, so seventh and final story. It's about the rich young ruler. We find that in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, 17. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down. I want you to remember that. Running up and knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Jesus is making a point here, which if this hasn't happened to you, it will. You'll encounter that person who says, well, I don't believe Jesus is God, but Jesus is a good person. He's a good moral example, a good teacher. And really, Jesus is addressing that very point right here. It's very clear in the scriptures, Jesus claimed to be God. So if he's not God, that would mean he was a, a liar and a fraud. And you can't say a liar and a fraud is good. So really, there's this big divide. Either Jesus is God and everything he claimed to be, or he's a liar and a fraud. There's no middle ground. And, 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 the, and the, hopefully, you know, from the scripture, you know that Jesus is God. Just abundant uh, proof in the scripture. But and hopefully you've made a choice that he's your God because simply admiring Jesus in some way, that doesn't get your sin forgiven. You're not going to heaven because you're an admirer of Jesus, right? You go to heaven because you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's the only way. That's what the scripture tells us. So Jesus, continuing in his conversation with this rich young man, remember the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, Jesus gets back to answer the question. He says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, 
Piece of cake. I thought you were going to ask me something difficult. This is so easy. No, he didn't say that, but that's really equivalent to what he said. Here's what he said. He said, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. That's his claim, at least. Now, interesting, you probably know this, but God wrote with his finger these Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone and gave them to Moses, right? The first tablet of stone, the first table of the law, contained the four commandments. We could call those the first four commandments, the vertical commandments, those that deal with our relationship with God. The next six commandments were kind of the horizontal ones dealing with our relationship with people. It's those six that Jesus is talking about here. So this guy says, you know, what commandment should I obey? And Jesus talks to him about the commandments relating to other people. He doesn't talk about the commandments relating to God, perhaps because that was the problem this young man had. Is he, he had a big problem in his relationship with God. He didn't have one, number one, but there was an idol in his life you know, also. So anyway, so Jesus speaks about these, these first six, not yet dealing with, the, with the, the first four, but he's going to come to that. And so this guy says, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Jesus doesn't weigh in on that either way, but here's what he says. Looking at the man, Jesus felt a genuine love for him. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? You could be the rebel of the earth. You could hate Jesus. You could sin against him. And probably most of us were in in one of those kind of places once, and I certainly was. Uh, Jesus doesn't love you any less, does he? Our sin doesn't, doesn't reduce his love. He loves us, right? And he will always love us. Now, that doesn't mean you're saved just because he loves you. He loves every person he created. And a decision is, is needed for us to be saved and forgiven. But Jesus, this guy is, and we're going to see in a minute, he's going to turn around, turn away from Jesus. But Jesus loves this guy just as he loves every person on this earth, regardless of the choices they make. And it's kind of a lesson for us too, isn't it? There'll be people in our lives, and we don't like their choices. We don't like their treating us. No, Jesus would, would say, look at them with love. Okay, so looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him and said this, there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, it says in verse 22 there, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad, says grieving in some translations, for he had many possessions. Look at how this guy arrived and how he left. He arrives, he's running to Jesus, and he bows before Jesus. He kneels, right? How does he leave? Well, it's like, kind of turns and sneaks away. What does that tell us? I think it says that on some level, this guy knew he was making the wrong choice. I mean, if you make a great choice in life, you're, you know, if you're making a bad choice, like you're sneaking, that's what this guy, he, on some level, he knows this is the wrong choice. He couldn't leave his money, but anyway. So, something that needs to be said. This choice that Jesus offers this man, it's not a universal command. It's a command for this guy. Why? Because this guy had an idol in his life. He loved his money. He loved his money more than he loved God, right? So that was the command of Jesus to this one guy. It's not a universal command. But essentially, the, the decision point for this young man was, your money or your Jesus? What's it going to be? You're going to have to pick one. So we could say that this rich young ruler seemed to have it all. He was young, powerful, rich, right? Our culture certainly admires those things. But he faces a fork in the road. Follow Jesus, but lose your money. Or keep your money, but lose Jesus. So about three weeks ago, I wake up in the morning. 
and go into the kitchen. And I looked out the back of our house, and something had radically malfunctioned with the sprinklers, and they'd gone on for like 10 hours, and the, the whole back is just all this muddy thing. I'm expecting the water company to come and publicly spank me for wasting this much water in a drought. But anyway, so, so I look out, I see this big mess, and I should explain, there's this steep bank down in the back of our house, and there's some steps there, and this whole thing was just mud. Anyway, so I look out at this mess, and I, so I call the gardener, and he said, well, you're going to have to go snap me a picture of the valve. The valve must have stuck or something, and I'll get that, and I'll come, and I'll fix things. So I grab the cell phone, and I'm walking out. I'm going down these steep steps that are covered with mud. You, you probably can tell where this is going. So anyway, I, I slip and fall and bang up my back and whatever. Anyway, but that wasn't the real problem. The real problem is the cell phone flies out of my hand and becomes buried in the mud. So I pick, see, you didn't care about me, but the phone. Yeah, it's like, don't mess the phone up, whatever you do. I don't care if you die, just don't touch the phone. So I, 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 the, the mud is all stuck up in the phone. You can clean it off, but it's not working. You can't use it. And uh, anyway, so I, I go in the house and use the landline to uh, call the local cell phone repair. And they ask me all those bizarre questions. Tell them about the mud and the phone. And, and they said, was the mud wet? Did, did this person sleep through the first grade or something? I mean, it's like, that's the definition of mud. Mud is dirt plus water equals, I didn't bother to enlighten them on that, but so anyway, I go over to the, the, cell, the cell place, and uh, so the tech's working on the phone in the back room. And I, I begin a conversation with the guy that's running the front counter. And it turns out he came here from Mississippi about a year ago to do music. And, uh, and he tells me that he's writing and performing rap songs in uh, local clubs. And then I start talking about the Lord. And then he says, well, you know, I was raised Southern Baptist. But he says, I know... These lyrics that I'm writing, and they're pretty filthy, and he said, but I have to do this to succeed. And so I challenged him. I said, why do you think that you have to sacrifice your principles to be successful? And then I began to think about us, you know? Why is it that we make those sacrifices or compromises? Why is it, that, you know, Jesus says, this is the way, you know, we're supposed to go that way, and we, but why is it that we don't go that way? What is it about that? What, what, what causes us to not uh, obey the Lord. And, and I think in the end, and it's so funny because half of my sermon, these gals in the prayer rooms, like ripped me off this morning. I mean, they didn't know what I had here. And it's like, they keep bringing this up and that up. I thought, well, next time you do it, you know, it's like they had the whole stinking thing. I don't know, God's talking to them or something. But anyway, so, so, um, but I think that most of the time it comes down to fear. Fear is why we don't pick up. I mean, like this rapper from Mississippi, we fear we're going to lose something if we follow Jesus, if we obey him. You know, for example, maybe you're in a relationship. You know, you're compromising. You're doing things God wouldn't approve of, right? Why are you doing that? Probably fear. You're afraid you're going to lose that person. Uh, You're going to be alone. Or maybe you lack money. So you feel like you've got to fudge on the taxes or fudge on the expense account uh, or maybe lie to a customer to get that that order or whatever it is. You know, that's fear that's driving that, right? That, That you're afraid you're going to lose something. But the Scripture promises there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. And the idea is that when we come to understand the depth of God's love for us and the fact that he's going to take care of us no matter what happens, then we can be set free from the fear because his love is stronger than our fear. So this morning we looked at these seven stories, a total of ten people that Jesus interacts with. Seven of the ten immediately embrace Jesus. 
and more or less say goodbye to everything else in their life. It's radical. But three of these reject Christ in various ways. Martha preferred working and serving to being with Jesus and uh, receiving his word. But Martha, you know, perhaps she found her identity and her importance in serving rather than finding her identity, importance, and acceptance in Christ himself. The man, he said he might get around to following Jesus someday after his dad passed away. He failed to make Jesus a priority. Everything else in his life was more important to him. Rich young ruler, loved money more than anything, more than Jesus. So I found this curious in looking at these seven passages. What's the common denominator? I mean, he invites ten people to follow him. Three in various ways reject the invitation. We might ask the question, why? Why did those three reject Jesus? Didn't Jesus, the God of the universe, stand before all ten? Didn't the word of God go into the ears of all ten? Yes, it did. But why were there only seven who accepted his invitation? And I would suggest to you it's the condition of the heart. It's the condition of the heart. It was the same Jesus and the same word but different reactions. Why was that? Condition of the heart, I would suggest to you. Now, uh, a few years ago, my uncle sent me this story. It's titled Heart Trouble. It goes like this. It says, In the beginning, God created broccoli and spinach and green and yellow vegetables of all kinds so people could live long and healthy lives. But Satan created supersized fries and the 99-cent double cheeseburger. So God created yogurt, salads, and olive oil, but Satan brought forth bacon and the chicken fried steak. People gained pounds and their cholesterol soared. So God gave running shoes, and people resolved to lose those extra pounds. But then Satan brought forth cable TV, the remote control, and potato chips. Man went into cardiac arrest. But God gave the quadruple bypass surgery, but then Satan created the HMO. I hate to say it, I think Satan got the final word there, but anyway. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 16.1, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. When it comes to obeying and following Jesus, we have a choice, and we make choices with our heart, with our will, So the condition of our heart is crucial, it's critical. So this morning, I would ask this question to everyone here, myself included. What is your heart condition? What is my heart condition? And no, I'm not talking about your cholesterol or your LDL. In fact, let's put that question out of the way. Let's ask it this way. Let's say, which of the people in these stories represent you? Are you Zacchaeus? You've come to Christ. Everything in your life has become a distant second to to Jesus. Bravo, if that's you. Or are you Martha? You're interested in Jesus. You consider yourself a follower of Jesus. But could it be that time with Jesus, time in his word, is just not your main priority? Or are you the man who wanted to wait some years or decades until his father died and then maybe follow Jesus later on sometime? Are you the rich young ruler? You run to Jesus. You bow to him, but yet you don't allow him to direct your steps. You don't allow him to direct your life. I'm just guessing that a lot of us might be in that category. 
There's no more important decision than what will you do with Jesus? Will you ignore him? Will you give him lip service? Will you make him second to everything else in your life? Some years ago, I watched a man die who refused Jesus. Jesus was not his priority, not throughout his life and not even on his deathbed. And for me, that was one of the scariest, ugliest things I'd ever seen. The memory of that even haunts me today. But on his deathbed, this man who was just hours away from standing before the one who had created him was still refusing surrender to Christ. Now, some here today may have never surrendered to Christ and received a full pardon of sin. And Jesus made that available to each and every one of us at the cross. There's no sin that can't be forgiven. There's no sinner that can't be forgiven. And that's the whole point of the cross. Now, if that's you today, uh, today's your day to surrender to him and, and be forgiven. Have your sin taken away and know that your future is heaven. Now, some here today may need a fresh surrender. Right? There's some area of your life where you're not following Jesus. Not that you haven't made that confession of faith in Christ, but there's some area or areas in your life, and I believe if that's true, God's showing you even now, but there's some area in your life where you're just not following Jesus. You've carved out some exception for yourself from the commands of God and say, well, that that doesn't apply to me in this area because. What Jesus asks of you and me this morning is to raise that white flag, is to say, today's the day I will surrender to you. And it's got to be an unconditional surrender to him and to his will for our lives. I'm going to invite the worship team up now. And then I'm going to pray a little prayer, and we're going to call this a prayer of surrender. And uh, if, if you listen to that and say, yeah, okay, that's, that's right, I, I want to do that. Well, then at the end, you're going to, you can just repeat after me. You'll say, I surrender, I'll follow Jesus. Pretty simple, but don't make a mockery of it. Do it because you believe it. If you don't believe it, don't do it, right? And I don't even know what that prayer is going to be yet, but God's going to have to show us what, what the words of that prayer are. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you've done everything possible to deal with our sin and bring us into your kingdom. We had strayed. The problem was on our side. You gave us life and you gave us this world to live in and you provided for us really everything that was needed. And yet, we went a different way. We turned from you. We ran from you. Uh, But the scripture is clear that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Knowing our disobedience, our failure, the depravity of our sin, you said, I'm going to the cross anyway because I love you. And anyone that will just turn to me, call upon my name, will be forgiven, saved. And so if that's you today, then that, that ought to be on your heart right now. I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven. I need to uh, repent of my sin. I need to see it for what it really is. I've, I've been making all these alibis and excuses for my sin. The reality is, if, if you're at all communing with God right now, he's showing you that sin and you're going, this is ugly. I agree with you. Confessing sin to God, the, the word just means agreeing. We just, God, you say it's wrong. I go, I say it's wrong. Okay. So, so let's deal with that first, those that need salvation. Second, uh, those of us that have confessed Christ, we consider ourselves part of the kingdom of God, but there's areas of darkness in our life. There's something what we have, we've, we've permitted, we've allowed, we've 
We just continued on in that thing. And uh, Jesus wants to deal with that here and now. He wants to remove that from your life here and now. And you leave it here, and you're going to leave from this place clean and renewed and refreshed. But a decision is made, is required. Jesus wants a decision of our heart that says, yes, I surrender that area, and I surrender all to you. And uh, with all our heads bowed still, I'm just going to uh, lead you in a very brief prayer. If you, if you are on board with this, then I'm going to have you repeat this out loud. Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender every area of my life. And I look to you to lead and guide me in the right way. And I thank you that you have forgiven my sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.